Welcome to the Comedy Sports Podcast. Very excited today. It's like I'm sitting here with a relative of mine. I have Mr. Joe Cortezzi. Christine, we have two Italians sitting across from one another. We do. We just need to get some spaghetti and have a blast. I I think we're going to have a blast no matter what. I want to tell my listeners here that we practically are related in a weird sense because you... When you were a kid, yep. my great great aunt, Sister Mary Michael, was your teacher, and somehow through the Italian gossipy grapevine, we figured that out at one point. So the grade school on the east side that my entire family went to, yeah. my four older siblings, uh, and then eleven years later, I was I was I'm the baby. Yeah, there's an eleven year <laughs> difference. Yeah, and uh, w- the school we went to was St. Rita's, uh, mm-hmm. and now it was now it's Three Holy Women. Uh, when I got into the fifth grade, uh, a new teacher was coming. Uh, a, a nun from St. Joan Antita was coming over or yes. coming back to St. Rita. Right. And it was Sister Mary Michael. And when my older siblings found out that little Joey was going to have Sister Mary Michael as their fifth grade teacher, they didn't say anything. Okay. They just laughed and had this look on their oh, face. No. And and I think I've told you the story before. Believe it or not, day one of class yeah. at St. Rita's. We all get into our desks, and she, uh, Sister Mary Michael has a, a, a roster of students, the right. list, and she just goes, Mr. Cortese. <laughs> she looks, she totally knows who I am. Of course she does. And she's like, come here. Uh-oh. Front desk all year. Oh. <laughs> and she just plopped me down right in the front. And you were like, oh, man. She was, uh, she was an amazing, that, you know, that, that, uh, Catholic upbringing and that grade school was amazing, and she was a big part of it, no doubt. She was yeah. a saint. So when we found out that, you know, I don't that remember was how we found that I out. Know. I think it was at Festa, probably Fa- family Festa, gathering yes. at Festing. What you know, huh? Yes, yeah. because it's all so small walkie, right? No everyone doubt. knows everyone, all no the old doubt. families, mm-hmm. and now they're building the old pink church. On yeah, Castry. they knocked everything down. Yes, it's going that's to where be, she lived. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a retirement um, home for yeah. for people that from the parish, hopefully, yeah. and then and then anybody else who who needs it for sure. And then they built the the pink church right next to it, a yes. replica of uh, unbelievable of the church. Uh, well, that was Ponte. my favorite thing at Festa yeah, every no year, doubt. seeing all that. Well, well, so go ahead. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for yeah, being yeah, here. I just I think it's great that we're so like entwined with family. Right. And I just we've love we've it. tried to do this podcast for a bit and we finally got some free time and we have. Uh, I'm You're glad a busy we man, get Joe. It done. Well, you know. Well, so you born and raised in Milwaukee, like oh, you said. Yeah. Catholic American, Italian. You bet. Yes. Um, grandparents from Sicily. Okay. I don't think they were on a boat. I think they swam next to it. <laughs> but uh, they got here somehow. Okay. And uh Born, uh, both fam- mom and dad's families are both from Santa Agatha, the same town in Sicily. Okay, wow. Um, and dad fought in World War II. Um, saw a picture of of my mother and his sister on a Polaroid when he got home. Said want to meet her, um, and in four months they were married. Oh, isn't wow. that crazy? Oh. Your mama was a sweet lady. Good lady. I never good met lady. your dad, but I met she your mom. She laughed at everything I did. She was wonderful. Yeah, and I was not that funny. So Well, she... so you said there's 11 years difference between you and your next sibling. Yes. So what kind of kid were you with these older siblings? And then here's baby Joey. So my sister, Grace, was 17 when I was born. Oh, so wow. she's like, we got a toy. <laughs> Grace, I love her. Yeah. So, uh... Uh, they were pretty much gone, right? By the time my sisters were married, when my sister Grace got married, I left the church crying at St. Rita's because somebody was stealing my big sister Aww. away. So they had to, right after the wedding, yeah. right after the mass, after the ceremony, they came to the house on Jackson Street, which was two blocks away. And they had, uh, Pat had her husband, yeah. uh, had to convince me that he was not going to hurt my sister because that's <laughs> what I thought was going to happen. Oh. Um, you know, 
I was uh, I was an East Side kid. I was a um, I was a little punk kid growing up, but at that time everything was different. The neighborhood was a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, we had we lived on uh, the sixteen hundred block of North Jackson Street, and uh, the 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 Maki family, the Dentiste family, the Cortese family, the uh, Canestra family, the Bazil family, the Catania family, mm. and the Sheffalu family all lived within a four house five house right. radius on both sides of the streets. Yeah. And after dinner, the the um, the parents and grandparents were on the porch, yeah, drinking their wine, yeah drinking their Pabst, and the kids were in the street, <laughs> and they could do and... anything. And there was maybe one or two cars going down the road at night. Now yeah. it's now all the houses are gone, and they're all condos. And It's different. Uh, I know. Everything... I remember talking to my grandpa about the Third Ward where he lived with the Vitucci's. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, um, well, his, no, he's Capriola, but the Vitucci's mm-hmm. I'm related to, and Michael Vitucci, the king of the Third Ward. Nice. And um, all the stories and how upset my grandpa would tell me that they were when they knocked down the little church, the little pink church, for the freeway. Yeah. And then it turns out they didn't need to knock it down because they didn't put the freeway where the ch- church was. No, anyway. and they also took a lot of houses off yes. of uh, a one block uh, south of our house on Lyon, from like Lyon and Jefferson to Lyon and Humboldt. They yeah. knocked all those houses down because that freeway was supposed to go through there and connect to the home yeah. bridge. And that never happened. And, and those were all either. Italian families. I and they know. all had to move. They had to, yeah, so they had to move. We were just off of that. And yeah. the, house, the house that I grew up in, my grandparents owned. And okay. Before I was born, yeah. My my mom and dad lived upstairs with my f- four siblings mm-hmm. in a one bedroom, three room flat. <laughs> and downstairs, my aunt and uncle lived. Yes. With uh, with the same the same uh, the house was laid out the same. Yeah, and so, yeah. And they had four kids also. Oh my god. Yeah. But they, but some some for some reason they had, they couldn't figure out names well. There was a big Jack and a little Jack and a big Roy and a little Roy, and I have no idea why there was a Jack and, and upstairs and downstairs. And downstairs. Yeah, Grace upstairs, downstairs, Roy upstairs, downstairs. It's like really. Wow. Come on now. Come on, be original with some names. Well, so we could do an Italian podcast. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. So <laughs> how did you go from little Joey wow. at St. Rita's? Yeah. How did you start? You didn't start comedy sports right away. You were in Brady Street. Tell yeah. me about how your like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? How did you go from this little kid to so, comedy? So um, the fact that you asked that, I still have no idea what I want to be, and I'm 57. No, right. And That's I think my mom I've, always I think says. I've done pretty well so far. You have. Um, I never thought I would be somebody that would be on stage, but I also never thought, I, I never knew what I wanted to be. Okay. You know, and, and that, so never wanted to go to college. Okay. <clears throat> Just wanted to get through high school and figure yeah. it out. And... Uh, Where'd you go to high school? I went to uh, I went to Milwaukee Tech first yeah. year, but I did want to be in the theater department. Okay, I wanted to try that. Yeah. So, um, did, when I said I didn't want to be on stage, I meant never thought I could make people laugh. Yeah. Knew I could read a script. Okay. And I could learn a part and yeah. play a character, and I would like to train to do that well. So I ended up going to Dominican High School in Whitefish Bay, and was in every play there. You were. And yeah, and and the. The senior musical, I was uh, in the senior musical, I had a lead in Oklahoma, and the director at Dominican's like, you know, there's two schools that want you to go there. Cardinal Stritch would like, and I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, I just not, I just, don't, they're going to pay for your school. Wow. They're going to pay for everything. And that didn't work out because I wasn't so much of a person to be in my nose in the books. Okay. wasn't doing that. Sure. And I signed up late for school. Okay. So I did one semester at Cardinal Stritch, but three of my classes were 300-level classes. I had to take them yeah. to to uh, for the scholarship to, okay. to be there sure. for me. And one was like costumes from 1412 to 1520, and I was like, <laughs> I could barely read. Um, but I it just kind of all fell apart. Okay. Then... Uh, Friends of mine that went to Cathedral High School <clears throat> were putting together an improv sketch group. Actually, it was a sketch group first. We didn't even know that improv was going on. Okay. And they started a group called Brady Street. And then at about six months into their group, they, Angelo Farina, mm-hmm. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. He, um, he asked if I could join the group, and then I did. So how did you know Angelo? Angelo was an East Side kid, five so years older than me. Yeah, I went okay. to Cathedral with everybody else in the neighborhood. You just knew him. Yeah. So it was Angelo Farina, yeah. Bruce Brinker, mm-hmm. John Pelesnik, and you, and Joe me. Cortez. <laughs> and originally Donnie Scheid. They all five of there were five of us total. Those four, <clears throat> excuse me, all went to St. John's, and I was 
I was little Joey. You were little Joey. I was like Joey. five years younger than them. Okay. Yeah. We started by pretty much staging old jokes. Really? Yeah, like old jokes, staging old jokes and doing like 20-minute uh, sets at stand-up places in town in 1985. That was like Wimpy's Hunt Club, which was a, my goodness, it was on, it was on North Avenue. It was right. It was right next to the old pizza man that, that yeah, burned that burned down. down. Sure. The open mic night was on a Monday night. Okay. There was four people in there. Yeah. All over the age of seventy. Yeah. Just bellied up at the bar and not paying attention to anything. <laughs> so you guys are just playing around. No, they had an open mic night. And they had like six or seven comics who were all coming in to do. Okay. Uh, this was prior to the big. Uh, stand-up comic wave of the 80s. Yeah. Because there weren't any comedy clubs anywhere till 1985, 86. Okay. And then it went like crazy for the next 10 years. Yeah. And then they're everywhere. Right. So we did Wimpy's Hunk Club. Uh, they pretty much had a booth by the door that had a table that they pulled out and put some milk crates down and a piece of plywood over it. That, yeah. And you stood up on that thing without, a, mic- on a, stage like without that. a microphone. Yeah. And you tried to entertain the four uh, drunk, drunk elderly people. gentlemen that are in the room. Right. And we had four guys in our group, so all of the four of us had to be on this piece of plywood. Oh That's pretty much where it started. Our first paying gig was at Teddy's. Okay. Um, which is now, what's the name of the, um, it's Shank Hall. Okay, right? yeah, Right? It sure. used to be Teddy's. And once a month, they did Teddy's Sunday Funnies. Okay, and yeah. our first paying gig was twenty dollars. We each got paid five bucks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you were in Brady Street for how long mm. before you guys? How did you come to comedy sports? How did this cross paths with we, comedy sports? We found out from uh, my mentor AJ. Okay. Uh, he said, "You guys have to check this out. This yeah. is going on," and it was at Cults at the time. That right. was nineteen eighty. Six. When, yeah, 1986 is when we joined the first workshops at Comedy Sports. And I was, I I didn't want to, after the first one, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to be good at this. Why so is I was that? deathly afraid of it. The fear, and the funny thing is, is that the fear did not end there. The fear of on stage for me went way into me performing for comedy sports. Really? I would really yeah. Very was it the improv part <clears throat> of it that it wasn't sketch or what was it? Um uh fear of failure, I think. Yeah. And then and I actually think I got better because of that. Yeah. That fear helped me um help my comedy sports career go on, I believe. Okay. Yeah, the length of it. Um my So was AJ doing comedy sports? No, no. So how did he he just He said you guys need to you you guys are writing these sketches. Yeah. You need to get you need to incorporate improv and you need to get in do your comedy uh, Brady Street group and, and then get in the comedy sports. Yeah. So then all five of us took the first workshop which was at the the JCC on Prospect. And who was your teacher, Dick? Karen Kohlberg. Okay, Karen. Karen Kohlberg taught it. Tom New was in it. Roz Turner was in it, and then all of us, so there are five of us. Yeah. Eight weeks, eight weeks of mime. <laughs> I'm serious. And it was like, but we were able, but you think about how how classes are taught now. Right. That don't happen. No. No. But I guarantee you, I may not have been funny, but I could have built a kitchen and showed it to you in every piece of that kitchen without a doubt. And we know at the end of the day how important that is. Right, absolutely. When it comes to showing an audience where you are without opening your mouth. Absolutely. It's like, don't tell them where you are. Show them what you are, like the basic rules, right? Um, So we did eight weeks of Karen's workshop. uh, And then then the the intense fear came. The, the, The intermediate class was taught by John Bank. Okay. And it went just dead in the scene work. Okay. And I just never thought I was funny. I just never thought I could think of funny things to say. So it was so internal for me personally. I would get so worked up and it would be like, oh my gosh, the class is at what time? It's at 7.30. It's three hours. I just need to get through this. Okay. And I mean, I feel like it's right. It, I can feel that fear in me as I'm talking to you right now. Believe really? it or not. Yeah, for sure. I remember Bob Orvis coming to a class and being the guest. Instructor the, the guest or With John. Okay. And I was just told, and everything I did was wrong. I was like, put so much pressure on yourself, babbling, scared, didn't want, didn't volunteer. There was only eight of us in the class. Yeah. Um, got through that. Okay. Wanted to quit. 
every after every class. And Angela, Angela was like, "You're not leaving. You're doing." He wouldn't this. let you. You're not. You are not leaving. Yeah. I mean, so he's responsible pretty much for me sticking it out all the way because he was never going to let me not do it. Yeah. No matter how much fear or how bad I thought it was. Yeah. The third set of workshops were Wednesday. We all got then invited to Wednesday nights at Cults. Okay. And that was the professional teams Wednesday night. Yeah. You know practices. Okay. That was tough. And that was tough? That was very tough. Why is that? Because you were playing with people already performing there? People already performing there. And there was a few that were performing there that that wanted no part of five dudes that all knew each other. Really? Yeah, there was, was, without bringing up names of other people, because I don't really want to do that. That being said, it was a different time then. And we came in. And we came in as family. I mean, we walked through the door as yeah. we have each other's backs. Right. We, you know, and we want to be a part of it. And you had, you know, John Pelesnik from the start. Yeah. That kid was funny no matter what. Yeah. There was no fear in him. John took his first, as soon as John got in his first Wednesday, um, professional Wednesday practice, he could have been playing. Right. For, since the inception of yeah. it. Right. With John Bank, with Rosie Friedman, with Dick, with Bob, um, and Tom was playing. Tom was brilliant from the start. Tom as knew well. was already playing. Yeah. yeah, no, he came in with us. Oh, with you. But okay. you could tell he oh, just yeah. had it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then you just you, it took about two or three months for me to get a chance to play. I didn't want to play. You I didn't want to play, so Joe. I, I'm serious. That's the way it was. Really? For me, for me, which is amazing because as um, as comfortable and as as well as I did later on, Yeah, you would never think that that was the case. No. A perfect example is the first, the first show I got scheduled for was, we did two shows, 7.30 and 10, and I got scheduled for a 7.30 show, yeah. and I must have been sick for a half hour prior to it, right? Like, really? Like, yeah. Like yeah, being sick. ill, yeah. right? And I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for halftime, and I couldn't wait for the end of the show, right? Did you have fun at all? I didn't. Oh, no, no. I can't I, believe you're sitting here I still, just can't wait. No, but, but there's, <laughs> there's glorious things that happen oh, from that point sure. on, right? I mean, so, so I, it's, it was so – it was such an important part of my comedy sports beginning yeah. that I had, to get, I had to get past all of this to get to the point where I feel I can do anything. On stage in front of anybody, I can entertain anybody. A four-year-old, seventy-five-year-old. Yeah. You give it to me, I got it. I can do it. No way did I think I would ever get to that point. I. And and this didn't help. The first the first show I'm in. Mm-hmm. The first show I'm in. It's five on five. Yeah. Um, and there is a, uh, it's what are you doing? Uh, it is, team choice, team challenge. Five things. Right. Halftime. Catch up. Five things. Oh, five things again. We did five things That's twice. Right. twice. We did five things, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? But yeah. we did it with an audience member. Right. But it was the most popular game, and it's still sure. uh, Very it's, it's a very popular game. And then do a head-to-head, and then an object freeze. Yeah. I mean, and it was just that show. Yeah. Um, my first show, Dick is the captain, and he goes, all right, Bo's reffing, and he goes, we're going to play the game of single dubbing. Okay. All right. And he goes, all right. And I'm sitting there like, okay, all right. That's going to be easy because I'm not going to have to talk. Right. I'm just going to stand of, the, Yeah. In the game of single dubbing, we, we, you know that one person does all the dubbing for all of the characters in whatever scene is being Who are acting out a scene. For yeah. sure. And Dick looks over at me and goes, yeah, you're did. dubbing. <laughs> did you poop your pants on stage? And I was like, <laughs> what? So... uh and then like two people just jump on stage and I got to jump. I got to start talking. Yeah. So I just, I talk in my voice for one of them. I do a falsetto voice for the other person. And now I think I need to change my voice and my character for, for all five of them or all four of them. But I didn't really need to do that. Yeah. Just, and I got waffled off the stage twice. No. And it ended and I was just soaking wet. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. Oh no. I'm going to kill Dick. I'm going to absolutely kill Dick. Second half, second half, I do, we're doing changing emotions. And uh, Bob yells 
Oh no, I I think Bo yells yells out one of the emotions uh, Bob yells out to me is aloof. And I had I had this this the moniker this stamp of aloof for at least 25 years while I was there. Every award for our banquets, yeah. I had it was like the Joe Cortese Aloof Award. <laughs> Not knowing what words mean, right? So I he go he yells out aloof. Yeah. And I I thought it was I thought it was two words. I thought it was aloof, and I and I heard I and I thought aloof would be just like some dumb guy or some <laughs> dumb character. So I so he yells out aloof, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go and get it. And then Bob, who's on stage with me, the, Bo yells out jealousy, and Bob goes, oh great, you get to play aloof, stupid, and the entire audience laughs, and I have no idea what he's talking about, and I'm like. I'm never coming back in this building again. <laughs> so Obviously, then why that did, all changed. Why did you? Because Angelo threatened you. You had to stay. No. Um. Uh. It just got. Uh. It got easier. It got more fun. Yeah. I got more confident. I realized that. Um. That I. That my my goal from the start was always to be, really good at everything. And I'll and and I, I compare that to me. As an athlete, I'm not a big. I'm not an athlete by okay. any means, but I can play any game. Okay. Uh, maybe not now at 57, but back then. You were not 57. Uh, I am 57. Oh my god. I don't feel it, but but back then, I could. If you wanted to go play tennis, Christine. Yeah. I could go play tennis with you. All right, sure. Uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not. I'm gonna be able to play tennis. I'm gonna be able to play golf. I'm gonna be able to play throw a football. I'm not. I'm, so I was always, you know, fifty percent at everything, and maybe a little better at basketball, yeah. just because I played it more. But I could always do it. Yeah. That's where I put my focus at at comedy sports. And one thing I knew I had is that I was very, very likable. Yeah. And and I I think that's why Jen and Dick liked me from the start and playing me I, Jen always said you could go on stage and everybody would just smile oh sure so I think that was that was one of the reasons why audience started to like me even if I didn't worry about starting to make mistakes on a personal level yeah then I realized that it wasn't so much personal and it was is such a team effort I, I felt I was a very very strong team player yeah um and I made everybody better around me and while that happened I got pretty dang good well in what, all aspects of what it's like Shakespeare, like for example Shakespeare yeah I can I was like deathly afraid of Shakespeare and then all of a sudden I figured out that I could be good at it really by listening to Bo Johnson do it well yeah <laughs> right sure so Everything was pretty much at that level. So it slowly got better, and it got better, and then all of a sudden... It, I, well, by the time I come back to Milwaukee from playing in Madison in 98, uh, my first show in Milwaukee, I look at the lineups. Yeah. Joe Cortese. Right. Brian Green. I know. Bruce Brinker. I just about puked. I was uh, like, oh, my God. And you were... I'm shocked to hear how uncomfortable you were and how you hated it because you were, when I saw Joe Cortese on that lineup, I thought, oh my God, he is, like you said, so comfortable, like everyone loves you. You were so comfortable. You were Mr. Hey, yo, comedy sports guy. And I just, I'm blown away by you saying those things. I was so intimidated to play with you. But then right away, you were like, hey, good yeah. to see you. Come on in. I mean, you were so welcoming. Everybody was. But to see your name and to see that I was doing a show, I was like, something doesn't compute. How am I going to go on stage with him? It it was it was the best times of my life Yeah, on stage. Even those tough times early. I mean, you got to yeah. you, you have to start and you have to start somehow. Mine started out that way. I, I would imagine if if you if you ask people their initial feeling about the first show that they did, it would be similar to the explanation. Mine was a little, little more hectic, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I got the first time I got, I don't dwell on how unfun it was, but the first time I got four shows, I'm sorry. First time I got two shows, I I got to cults and I'm just like, all right, I got four halves. (laughs) I swear. I was like, I have four halves. God. To get through. Now you think about how that started, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but then it then 
let's get to 1993. Right. When it's like we're we have the greatest thing that's going on in this city. Yeah. You know, and I'm we're I'm doing every so so it's not me obviously, but my confidence and what I've done with my performance. Right. And then you got all these amazing. I mean, our our Milwaukee strength was is pretty pretty amazing in our shows. Um, that was some, some serious heyday going on. I mean, well, so when did you start refing? Was that always part of it, or did you pick that up later on? Um, because uh, nobody refs like you. Yeah, you, you know, have an amazing style. It got there's been a lot of great people refing. Yeah, right. Um, and everybody that refs has their story. Some sure. people started refing, some people didn't. Someone's like, you have to ref. Dick's like, I want you to ref. Yeah. Everybody likes you. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, ah. I just, I, at first, I didn't want to get caught in the, I'm going to be roughing all these shows and not playing uh, so many. Uh, yeah. There's that There's yeah. that way to look at it. Um, then that changed. Then I got really comfortable. Yeah. And um, like Holly would say, um, you, you tend to want to be in control way too much. <laughs> um, and it was nice to be in control of stuff, yeah. um, be in control of the show, not necessarily for my benefit, yeah. but for the show benefit, because uh, personally, I felt I had a really good handle on everything that was going on. I knew I knew where what the audience was like, yeah. where the kids were. I'm really good with a kid audience. I knew where the drunks want, where I knew how to handle them, yeah. talk to them prior. So <clears throat> I got so comfortable refing. I had to ref the big shows, you know. I had well, to ref the championship yeah. matches. I had to. I had to ref the seven thirty sold out show. Yeah. You, if you, I knew the show was going to be good if I was wearing stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember with you refing. That sounds horrible. No, I, I that's all right. We can I all mean, pat ourselves in the back for I mean, something. I know, in life. but it, it it just like it. it uh, you know, uh, at one time I said I want to ref. I want to play the show I'm refing in. <laughs> I do. I want to be. I want to call the forward. I want to be in the forward reverse and call it and call it. Yeah. Or the changing emotions and call it. Yeah. Because I can knock it out. Right. Well, something that I always remember with you refing is you as a ref would spend more time off stage than on stage. Yeah. In the audience. Yeah. A lot of people ref on stage. You would always go down in and out of the audience, talk to people in the crowd. You'd work the crowd. And I always thought that was, and it was comfortable for you and the crowd loved it. Very, it's it's more personable, right? Yeah. Uh, you break the wall. Yeah. You get them closer to, and, and it was, you know, I think the first time I, I, I started doing that, it was to diffuse times when the audience was a little hostile. Mm-hmm. So somebody was, was yelling things, or there was a group talking a, a little too much in one section. The next time I would go for a suggestion... I would walk right to where they were and go, hey, excuse me. And as yeah. soon as you're that close, everybody's looking at the ref. Yeah. They stop what then they're they, doing. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was like little tricks that way, but definitely um, more personable. Yeah. I think I think the audiences love the fact that comedy sports is just that. It's about that. The shows are about what they give, and we're, we're there for them. We're yeah. high-fiving them at the end. They can see us sitting outside at the bar afterward, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. So when refing, being a little more personable, because the ref, the 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 stigma of the ref in all of sports yeah. is to be hated. It, right, sure. Right? You hate the umpire. Yeah. You hate from, from, they from make the way calls. back. They make yeah. the calls. Someone's going to be happy. Someone isn't. I mean, back in the day, you'd get up on stage and, and people would, at cults, they would uh, you, you know, they would talk during the ref spiel, spiel. So you, you, you had to confront that in a way. Yeah. I was good at confronting and smiling about it. <laughs> I was like, I could, I could, I don't want to say put you down, but I could knock you off your knees a little bit yeah. as a heckling person in the audience. Sure. And then have you be happy that I did it. Yeah. And still be on your side. And not want to beat me up. After. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that has important. happened. That it, has. What? No, no, not really. Well, even explaining the games. I mean, oh. I always think of the ref always being in the box on the stage, but even explaining games, you would be out in the crowd right. talking to them as if you were having a personal conversation with two people. Right. You'd point at one person, like, so what's going to happen over here? And then you'd point at another person. I thought it was great that you were in the crowd. Thank you. I, You know, and getting back to uh, explaining games is crazy because all refs will tell you when they first start refing yeah. the game, uh, and you ref shows. Uh, few. Right? Yeah. So what you find yourself doing is you – 
first you're so worried about being able to explain the explain games correctly. The games, yeah. So you just explain a game forever. Right. Yeah. All on the explanations just all the minutia that could yeah, possibly happen. I know. It's like it's like right now I'm probably talking way too much. <laughs> So at one point oh. then, yeah. you ended up being um, in a group that started the original Midnight Show, right? You were one of the originals? Uh, yeah. So Eric Price. Eric Price. You, Dylan, Tim Higgins, Dylan Bolin, Bill, Bill Bartell, Bartell, and who am I missing? Maddie. Maddie Garnis yeah. was original. Was he? Yeah. Was he? Yeah, it's been a long I'm 57. I forget stuff. I, I forget, don't forget what I had for breakfast. I don't even know I made how BLTs. I got here. That's okay. right. So tell me about that, doing something different. Like you started in Brady Street, and then you get to comedy sports. Right. And then now you're doing the Midnight Show. Were there other uh, groups and things you were doing other than that? No, that was that was enough. <laughs> uh, and, and the Midnight Show started by us putting leaflets on cars at UWM to try to get people to come out to a show at midnight at, uh, at comedy sports. And... The group I was probably I was the oldest one in the group. Yeah, um, it was it was very fast paced. There's yeah. a there's a good good group of of improvisers. Of there's there's no Incredible. doubt. Yeah, yeah, very very good. Um, I think I lasted in the group for for just under a year, and then we had some stuff go on at home that I needed to be home for. Yeah, so I just pulled myself out of it. Uh, and the midnight show continues, right? Yeah, Isn't they're it? still yeah. on. Isn't they're still crazy? going. I think. Yeah. Who's the only original there? Is it Maddie? I don't know. No. Yeah. Yeah, Maddie's yeah. still in it. Yeah, Maddie's okay. still in it. Maddie, Allen, um, John Waldbauer, Tim comes in and out. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen a midnight show in a bit. Well, I'm not up that late, are you? No. No. <laughs> I got home at 11.30 yesterday, and I, I, I don't know how I got up this morning. <laughs> Christine, what was your favorite game? My favorite yeah, game? Your favorite, your favorite comedy, comedy sports. sports game. I've always loved Forward Reverse. Yeah, have you? Yeah. It's one of the first scene games you learn, and I love it. When oh. it works, it kills. It's amazing. But when you have people standing there talking, it doesn't yeah. work. Let me ask you this. Hmm. Oh, I'm being interviewed. A little bit. What, uh, let me ask you this. What was your most feared game I... that came out of the bucket, and you were like, oh. Well, I have shared many times <laughs> that I'm terrible at pun games. Got it. 185 is tough for me. Mm. I usually have Brian Green whispering jokes in my ear so I can get in the box. Right. Products International, terrible. I'm not good at pun games. Right. I feel really comfortable in scene games. I can do good characters and contort my face. I make crazy faces. Um, I used to be good at guessing games as the guesser. But now that I'm older and I've had kids, I literally have no brain cells left and I can't remember anything. So the, when I started coming back and was guessing and I realized I can't do this anymore. Like my brain just can't do it. Um, but I love guessing games. What's your favorite game, Joe? I have tons of favorite games. You know, my favorite game always was changing styles or before we turned it into styles, it was changing emotions. And it wasn't even performing it. Yeah. It was calling it. Really? Because we would play it with... Two improvisers on stage, and each one of them would have a caller on each side of the off stage with yeah. a list of emotions, just straight emotions. Yeah. And I was always really, really good at calling. What do you mean? How do you, how do you, how can you be good at calling? Explain that. So you can be good at calling like by by not running, uh, not running similar emotions back to back to back. And you know what to save for the end. And you know what to save for the end. Yeah. And to start the start it off. So that the audience can pick up how the game is played. Right. You start off with emotions that are simple. Yeah. For them to know. And, yeah. and for the audience to, to understand your anger and your happy and your sad. Yeah. And then, then you move on to other ones. Well, so what game would you dread if it got pulled out of the bucket that you had to play? Gosh, it was so many. There's, a, there's <laughs> so many. There's a, it's so bizarre that you actually did this for as long as you did. Isn't that crazy? You're like, and I so hated well. Every second of it. I did not hate every second of it. <laughs> I, just the beginning, so so that only let, let's let's back up. Okay, it was only like for that first year. But you stuck with it for a year, and you were so uncomfortable. Yeah, and look that's what happened. amazing to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's amazing as well. I think it's great. Right. I'm just I wish people would stick with things. My son, I'll bring up again. Bless his heart. I love him. He's the love of my life. But I always tell him you have to practice to get better at things. Right. And the first time he tried to ride a two wheeler, guess what happened? He fell Took because them. everybody falls the right, first time. Right, right, right. And I said, "Okay, get back up." No, I fell. I can't do it. 
Well, no, honey, everybody falls. No, I can't. I'm done. He gave it up for two years. He wouldn't do it. Refused. Flat out refused. And then the only reason he learned is because our daughter, Mayna, started uh-huh. on a two-wheeler. And she yeah. was almost getting it. And Nelson ran out of the house and he saw us. And he said, wait, wait, mommy, is she on two wheels? And I said, oh, yeah, honey, she's going to get it. He ran to the garage, grabbed his bike, and within 10 minutes he got it. Stop it. Yeah. And I said, honey, that's what you, you have to practice to get better. And that's something that yeah. just eludes him. He gets so mad and frustrated, and I wish he'd stick with things. But I'm amazed you stuck with right. something for a year when you said you were so uncomfortable. The the worst, the the most fearful game for me, and there are a few, I think, and I think most players have a few. Uh, and I, I think for me they were always the ones that were um, individually driven. So in other words you had to stand it wasn't a team i felt really comfortable on a team on it helping and yeah. also carrying right that that happened a lot sure um but the game i don't even i don't know if they play a poets corner anymore and poets corner was a game that you had three poets on each team okay you had um like real poets yeah which i was totally lost with <laughs> uh and then and then we would get you i think we got like two poets and one subject like vegetable poetry, okay. okay, right, and you would have to, you would get six, three, it, th- each, so three per team, okay. You know, one person on one team would come out and and get a word, okay, and stand by themselves and tell a poem. Oh Lord, I know, I'm sweating right now <laughs> in the style of right, a famous what, poet. Yeah, and I'm and they're like, here, do this. I'm like. I have no idea who that is. Right. So it's like, all right, let's make it up. And just, just the fear of like Poets Corner. You're going to do Poets At halftime, somebody would go, all right, so we're coming back with Poets Corner. And I'd You're like, no. Go, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, so that would be the fear. Now, one of the favorites, and I think it's a favorite, it's 185 because 185 is a game that our group, Brady Street, actually brought to the comedy sports company. Really? Yeah. And that was... Uh, 19 and so, so probably late 80, probably 90. Did you guys make up I have the game? it at home. I have, I have the award at home. The award. Yeah. Cause we, uh, we, Brady Street won game. There was a game of the year, new game of the year at the banquet. Yeah. And we got 185. Okay. So we did not make up the game. Okay. Um, we were doing a show in Beloit and there was, uh, we were the opening act and the feature act, and there was a headliner act. <laughs> okay. At a, a, I think it was Comedy in the Silo in Beloit, and they had it once a month. Okay. It was like 300 people in this huge, huge room. And um, at that time, we were doing some improv games, but yeah. mostly uh, staged you know, jokes. Yeah. And then this headliner comes up, and we were talking to him backstage. He's like, yeah, I used to do this improv thing back in the... Have you ever heard of this game, 185. And no, and he explains it to us. He goes, maybe we'll do it after my set. Let's see. Okay. So he ends his set. And while he's coming off, we come out to say, hey, I hope you had a great time. He comes back out and he goes, you guys want to do it? And then we tell the audience that, yeah. hey, we're going to play and do some more games. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. So hour and 45 minute show, the, um, us and the headliner. And then we go out and we proceed to do the game of 185 for about 80 minutes. 80 minutes of 185 from line I'm dying in those <laughs> in those in those 80 minutes Christine I did five that would have been me with like one <laughs> you did five I had no so I have Bruce Brinker you he have Bruce a, Brinker John who and is Angelo, the pun man and they're just going and I and and I'm I'm looking around and I'm thinking these people got to be going why is that guy even why up, is that there? Kid up there what's and, going and on? I'm going to myself why am I up here <laughs> And why did I stick this out, right? So that's where comedy, that's where the game of 185 uh, came from. So how do you pick yourself up after a show where you're not feeling comfortable? You practice for a year doing good. it? I got good. I got good. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I just, I did. I got, you know, you start getting wins and then, and then you get confidence. So the first time you did a Summerfest show, were you feeling good already or did Summerfest make you so nervous? We used to do shows at Summerfest at the comedy tent for yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. So the first, the first uh, comedy, uh, comedy sports show I ever did at Summerfest was on an auxiliary stage right by the main entrance. It was the WISN Channel 12 stage 
where they did an, uh, a live one, one of the live newscasts. Yeah. And the comedy sports show was Bra- the Brady Street team against the team that Tom knew. Tom knew was an improv group. Also, Tom knew Paula Foley, um, David Paul Knutton, and two other people. And they were called the Kitsch Club. Okay. So Dick was like, "Let's have the Kitsch Club and Brady Street go at it," and we're like, <laughs> "And we're like, oh yeah, okay, right?" I mean, because that was, I mean, we're like the Italian comedy gang, yeah. I guess. And that I so I had no fear there. Yeah. And then Comedy Sports went to the Channel Six Comedy Stage uh, before the Big Tent by the Amphitheater. Yeah. Um, not a lot of fear there. No. No. No, because all of it was team stuff, and I was I was in my groove at that time. By yeah. the time we got to the tent, yeah, it was wheelhouse. It was, it was just, like three thousand people. I got Man, this. I can't wait to. I I would I will never forget. I mean, I was doing twenty shows, three thousand people, two a day, one yeah. day off. Yeah, and I'm standing behind the backdrop for the first show, and I'm roughing it, and it's packed. And I can see PJ off to the off to the right. Ready? He's like, "You ready?" I'm like, "I'm ready." Yeah. And we all had our intro song. Yeah. I had Zeppelin playing, <laughs> and I'm in the I'm backstage, and I have total goosebumps. Really? And I'm so jacked. Yes. Got the mic in my hand, but as soon as they come out and I start talking, you're it's fine. over, man. Yeah. Own you're it. Fine. Own it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's those are some really good times, no doubt. Well, now you were part of um, Dick's favorite thing about comedy sports. Oh boy. And I am too. You are. Who else would be? Can you guess what it is? Let's see. I can't think of others. There's got to be many other cities. You and Holly got oh, yeah. together. Yeah, and yeah. you. And Dave and yeah. I. Um, Dick says one of his favorite things are all the families oh, that I'll came out of comedy cry. sports. Yeah, me too. I tell it to Dick a lot. Yeah, so that... you met your lovely wife. Yeah. How long did you know Holly? Ignatowski. Holly Ignatowski, my lovely wife of 21 years, uh, uh, we probably met in right when she started. Yeah. 90, she's, uh, she, early 90s? Yeah. Yeah, early 90s, 91, 92. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved when Dick said that. That's his favorite thing about sports. You know, I've told, uh, Dick has gone through a lot of things in his life, and yeah. I've said, you know what, you, 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 do you ever sit and you ever look at it? Do you ever really look at the tree? Do you ever look at, besides the fact how many people, how many people you got to have a brighter day from watching one of your shows mm-hmm. and something you started? How many la- how many right. people know it? How many people? There's a lot, and yes. he's the guy that got it running. I know. And then, and then the even bigger thing is how many families and babies are born. I and know. How many amazing things have happened? I yeah. know. Um, it's a wonderful thing, and it's a great family to be a part of. Yeah. And I have to ask, you have retired. Huh? Would you say that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, why? Um, what, what happened there? Uh, I got to uh, say, whenever I'd show up at sports and you were down the list for lineups, I was so thrilled to play with you and Holly. Yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, I got to this point where I liked being home on Friday and Saturday nights. I got that. I mean, yeah. and um, it was, I mean, I did it for a long time. It yeah. Was, every show so you figure like 14, 15 years, every available show. Right. That's just a lot. That's a it lot. It takes its toll. And then I found myself uh, on, a, on a Saturday when I'm scheduled for two shows and working another job in the, in the morning. And, and it's three in the afternoon and I would just like to chill. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call in. Somebody want to play. And you find yourself calling in and being replaced. And that's not fair. Yeah. So kind of I miss... I, you know, to be as blunt and as honest as I can be, I'm I miss performing back in the day. I'm not quite sure, sure I could walk into the building right now and and uh, and do the same kind of shows for a lot of reasons. And I, you know, times have changed. And 2019. Well, how has it changed from when you were playing to now? Um, it, it, so many things have changed. I believe it's all different. Yeah. I believe the times are different. Um, and uh, and f- for me, I'm, I, you know, I'm not as, I'm not uh, on board topically, like everything that's going on. So you have Pop children. Culture, yes. So you have children. Yes. So you, so we don't have children. Yeah. So if I had uh, 11 and 12, 13 year olds, I would know dance moves and, and, sure. and oh. Fortnite and boom. Yeah. I think if I get in a guessing game, yeah. I'd be the moron up there. They'll be like, I have no <laughs> idea what any of that is. <laughs> You could mime out anything you want, and I wouldn't get it. Was my dumb? No, but pop culture, pop I'm not culture. there. I'm just not there. And you need to yeah. be. 
you need I I mean I think if we if we put together a bunch of old dudes or old people yeah. on stage and did a show I would have no problem with it but yeah it I don't fun. think I would last in the green room for more than a half hour I I can see that okay yeah, yeah. so I, I'm not a bad person no you're not so is that Joe Mama Cortezy it is Joe Mama Cortezy it always has been yeah not sure why it's just it was no um it back with your mama jokes. You know what? That's exactly it. So there was a different time. It was a your mama joke. The dozens were the dozens were it. That was that was Richard Pryor. That was the one I listened to. Yeah. And Angelo Blaze got me on that. I could (laughs) recite I could recite Richard Pryor bits. Like you you just can't say anymore. (laughs) You can't say it anymore. No. But they were funny. And they're still funny to this day, maybe. Well, I lucked out. I got to play with you and Holly, I think within mm. the last year. We did a show, you and Holly oh, yeah. and Maddie Garnis and I, we did a show for your nieces, had like a Girl Scout remote show at Nicolay High School or something, and we went, and I was so excited that we got to play together. I know. It It was, it was uh, amazing for us to do the show for my two great nieces who... Yes have no idea that Uncle Joe and Auntie Holly have anything we've done in the past. I mean, they really? have no idea. So they, we've taken them to comedy sports, not, not to a show, but we've taken them and they see our pictures on the wall and they can't believe there's like this huge poster of Holly and I. And like, oh my God, you were here? What? You did this? You did what? And, yeah. And, and so their father... My nephew Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. So he was he was a ballet parker. Yeah, he worked at he Comedy was. Sports yeah. on Jefferson forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um it was wonderful playing with you. And it and and I love playing. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I I would do some remote shows. Sure. And probably be very good, but um in house shows might be a little tough. Well, I tell you Every once in a while when I'm doing a show and Holly will say, oh, let me know. Maybe I'll come down. I think that'd be fun. What if a whole bunch of old school called in? I, It'd be more comfortable for I, you if it was I, a bunch of people you were familiar with. I would totally be in on that. I you get a Rolly in there. Oh, every, yeah, Rolly, come on. I know. <laughs> we're going to play a couple games before we end here, Joey. I'm going to have you pick these papers in front of you. We've got tons of different comedy sports games on there. I want you to pick two and I want you to tell me about the games and which one you'd rather play if you end up doing that show that I'm going to call you down to do. (laughs) What do you got? Okay, so I chose the game of Switch Interview. Switch Interview. Yeah. And? And the game of Beastie Rap. Beastie Rap. Tell me about these games and what you would rather do. So Switch Interview is a game where um, uh, one person is the interviewer and the other one is the interviewee. And you get different suggestions from from the audience. And the interviewee, the expert, will then be interviewed uh, like they were on a television show. That's uh, Switch Interview. I, I like the game of Switch Interview. It seems... Again, it's a character-driven game. Yes. You know, so if you're a really good character person, mm-hmm. I think I was okay character person. So I would probably pick the Beastie Rap game, which is a, more of a team rhyming game uh, in the um, rap form of of the Beastie Boys, correct? Like the Beastie is that Boys, it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, sitting over there, and his name is... Joe. He likes to walk, but he's kind of... Slow. <laughs> I gotta go. Um, <laughs> we can't even do it here. So, 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 let, so this, these are, these are two perfect games to explain too, because they, they're, they're two very good games, but so different. Mm-hmm. The Switch Interview is so much more of an individual character game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, it's a listening game. The Beastie Rap is is such a high energy movement for sure. Big stage, mm-hmm. everybody moving. So for the audience to watch. I think they're both really good games, um, but f- from an audience standpoint, I think a Beastie ba- Beastie Rap game would be more fun to watch if that's where we're going. I love that. That's what you said because you were always so cognizant of the audience. Yeah. you always knew how to read a crowd and knew what would be good in a show. It, you know, there were. I don't know how much of it happens anymore, but we used to break down what have we done and what haven't we done and what do we need to do going forward, kind of like a football game yeah. um, or a sporting event that has a first half and something happens and you got to make adjustments because they figured something out. So comedy sports, again, I don't know if this goes on now, but 
you would make decisions at halftime on how the first half went, even yeah. if you had set in your mind two captains on what games you might be, might think about playing. Yeah. You might come back and go, you know what? Yeah. We probably need to pick the energy up. Yep. So let's do head-to-head uh, a, a f- f- forward reverse, or let's do a, a mega replay. Right, right. As opposed to a story. Right. Where you're standing. Well, it's so important to be able to know how to read a crowd. And I don't think right. that's intuitive for everybody, you know? Um, I believe that is correct. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's refreshing when you've got someone down there or multiple people who can understand a crowd and say, no, nah, this is really going to work better, right. you know? All right, one more game, Joe. what I do? I can read it if you want. You're going to pick one of these. You want me to? Okay. No, no, I got my All glasses. Right. All right, pick <laughs> got your readers on. Pick one of the would you rather and get to know you a little bit here. Would you rather? So I get to pick any one of sure, these? Sure, pick four. any one of All those. Right. There's okay. a bunch on there. Can I just look at them all and laugh? <laughs> Nelson reads them to me in the car. <clears throat> Appearance em- uh, embarrassment. Okay. Would you rather? Would I rather burp loudly in a board meeting or fart semi-loudly on a first date? Oh. Oh, boy. That's, that's tough. Wow. I've done one. <laughs> I'll tell you, my son picked that exact one. It's familiar. Yeah. He decided to fart on a first date. I would probably fart on a first date. Would you date fart on a well. first date? Sem- so, so semi, uh, fart semi loudly on a first date. <laughs> yeah, because um, you know right there if, if, if it's going anywhere, <laughs> right? I mean, if it's accidental and you can play it, you're like, I'm, it, it, if the, you'll know if the person likes you or not. That's a for sure one, right? Because if they're like, I can't believe this dude just farted on the first date. Christine, you'd be like, I'm out of here. Like, You're like, out of here. But if I was so charming that a fart just made it, I mean, if it smelled like lilacs or something. If your fart smelled like lilacs, Oh my I'd gosh, I met Lavender that. Butt Guy. I don't this know. This is so romantic. I know. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being here. This has been a treat. I'm glad you finally found time in your schedule to meet with me. Oh, well, I know I said it earlier. Uh, you're doing a great job. Oh, uh, thanks, Joe. And uh, I'm glad that you're the one that's putting this together. And Kyle, thank you too, buddy. Oh, thanks. Hey, everybody. Joe Cortezzi. That's me. The Comedy Sports Podcast is produced and engineered by Kyle Hannigan. Our announcer is PJ Rodwell. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Send us your favorite Would You Rather question at the Comedy Sports Podcast at gmail.com. As always, I'm Christine Rolo Capriolo. Catch you next time. The Comedy Sports Podcast is an independent production made by CSC Players. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast host and any guests are their own and do not represent the views and opinions of any CSE location or CSE worldwide. Vocabulary used by the host and guests is not necessarily representative of the CSE brand.